This is the Future of Cybercrime podcast, a new show dedicated to helping security practitioners on the front lines of defending their organization from the cybercrime underground. I'm your host, Zyra Prezado, former Gartner analyst, information security and risk strategist, and storyteller. Now, let's jump right into today's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Future of Cybercrime podcast with Kayla, where I speak with cybersecurity professionals, perhaps like yourselves, about the cybercrime underground. Today, I have with me Ravid Leib, the VP of product at Kayla. Ravid has a significant intelligence background, having served with the IDF, Israeli Defense Forces, in the intelligence unit, and otherwise a very significant product background in intelligence. Ravid, thank you so much for joining me today. Hi, Zyra. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So before we dig into our conversation about the cybercrime underground, it would be helpful for us to ground the conversation with some fundamental definitions. I talk about this a lot on the podcast, but we haven't really defined it. So how would you define the cybercrime underground? So that's a really good question. Um, I think that there is a very big overlap between what we and some other vendors refer to as the cybercrime underground and what other vendors or the media sometimes refers to as the dark web. And to put it as simply as possible, we define the cybercrime underground to be anywhere on the internet where bad people use the internet to do bad stuff. Now, that bad stuff can be monetizing the products or services around cyber attacks. It can be purchasing or um, offering services that relate to how cyber attacks can be executed. And basically, anything really that takes a part in the financial ecosystem surrounding cybercrime. So really, again, anything from uh, um, using information and leaked intelligence to conduct attacks and to the other side, monetizing the final products of an attack. That's a significant definition and it requires a very, very strong expertise to collect, to parse through, to understand. And Kayla is one of the top providers in cybercrime threat intelligence. How exactly does Kayla do this? How do they collect and curate? I mean, how do you fashion this on your side and product? So I think it, first of all, it starts really with understanding how cybercrime works, subject matter expertise around both intelligence and cybercrime specifically. Um, and just to ground even further the definitions that we've used before, let's talk about a few examples to the cybercrime underground. So let's take the general definition of bad places on the internet where bad people do bad stuff um, and try to give some specific examples. One such example is for is the Genesis market, which received a lot of headlines as of early April, where it's been disrupted. It hasn't closed, like some reports uh, claimed. It's still out there, still working. However, it was severely, uh, severely disrupted. Now, Genesis, specifically to those listening who may have not heard about it, is a market, an automated market, where bad actors, or specifically the actors behind Genesis themselves, monetize the products of InfoStealer infections, meaning an individual was infected with malware, the malware um, exfiltrated credentials to anything from social media to enterprise VPNs from the infected machine. And then the attackers are making money from these attacks by just selling the credentials to whoever would like to buy them on a dedicated market. Now, in that sense, 
Genesis is the perfect example um, to the cybercrime underground. And again, a lot of vendors would refer to Genesis as a dark web market. It really is more terminology than anything else. Um, and that is because, again, Genesis serves as a way for one set of attackers to monetize the products of their attacks and basically then empower other attackers who take these credentials and use them to do other bad stuff. Um, for example, take enterprise VPN credentials um, and use them for initial access for ransomware attacks. Now, in order to be able to collect intelligence and help enterprise defenders protect themselves in a way that's more effective, you first of all have to understand um, you know, obviously that markets like Genesis and Genesis specifically even exists. That really comes from being ingrained in the communities, marketplaces, um, and forums where cyber criminals operate, being able to understand nomenclature, being able to uh, really understand kind of the underground commerce, which drives the cybercrime underground, really at the end of it all, it's all business. It's people trying to make money. Um, circling back to your actual question, that is where really subject matter expertise comes in. And I think that a lot of people in cyber threat intelligence in general, and we in Kela are not really different in that sense, come not just necessarily from a cybersecurity or technical background, rather, or at least also from an intelligence background. So for example, I am a captain reserves in the Israeli military intelligence. I do not come from a strict technical background. Um, however, what I have done for several years in the military is understand how adversaries operate, um, analyze how things work, um, and basically find collection disruption opportunities. And I think that that methodology or um, really that tradecraft is probably the thing that connects a lot of CTI professionals around the world. And really, where in what we call the cybercrime underground, this is really where everything is embodied. It really comes down to understanding how cybercriminals work, understanding the business model, and based on that, knowing where to collect intelligence from. This is, there's so much that I want to get through in exactly what you've said. Let's touch on the latest point first, transfer learning. Not coming from a very technical background, but then getting into a threat and tell background from a technical landscape and applying these, these concepts. What have you seen as the strongest concepts that, uh, that are shared in both disciplines, technical, non-technical? So I think that really for cyber threat intelligence in general, as it is for intelligence in general, um, and basically in a lot of other roles and positions in which um, people in enterprises or corporates can have an impact on the business, which is really what security means to do. Um, which, like a side note that probably a lot of security professionals would agree with, security is not about strictly defending or securing the business. It's um, allowing the business to operate and try to alleviate as many risks as possible. So it's aiding the business, not necessarily just securing it, not for the sake of security, but for the sake of making business work better. And the thing that is shared between, I think, everything under CTI and both the technical and non-technical background is 
ideally at least, the ability to understand what the business does, what the business wants, and how can security help the business flourish and thrive and not just hinder it by making, for example, uh, making it harder for users to receive emails because you filter just anything that comes from the internet. And to make that happen, to be able to connect different disciplines, um, technical, intelligence, business, everything in the middle, it really comes down, I think, to creating common language and abstraction. So we could sit and talk about cybercrime in sophisticated uh, technobabble that would sound really impressive. However, um, if you go and look at how cybercriminals do that, how do they make money from the things that they do in the cybercrime underground, they do the exact opposite. They do really, um, they take a, a 180 degrees turn from what a lot of vendors do, like legitimate security vendors in the market, um, where they try to um, use kind of uh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt tactics to try and make people buy products. Um, cyber criminals, when they try to monetize what they do, they try to make it as simple as possible, as easy as possible, and as consumer-friendly as possible. Going back to the example about Genesis before, um, again, being a quote-unquote dark web market or a cyber underground market that sells the products of technical operations of malware infections. The thing about Genesis, also some other markets in that vein, but really the thing about Genesis is that it's really easy to use. It has a really good, really uh, coming from a product background, they have a really good user experience and user interface. It's friendly, it's simple. It's kind of like Netflix. So think about how downloading movies um, and streaming them to a television was hard before you had kind of a seamless automated service that does that for you. So cyber criminals are really good, or at least some of them are really good in taking these hard technical things that they do and making them easy to monetize, easy to sell, easy to, easy to offer as a service. And for security or cyber threat intelligence professionals, um, the thing that connects I think what we're trying to do is that we're trying to do the same, but for the good guys. We're trying to take a lot of hard concepts, a lot of buzzwords, a lot of technology, a lot of human behavior, and make it easy for decision makers to understand so we can help the business operate in a way that's better. Mm -hmm. Hopefully that makes sense. It does. It does. If, let's just, I'm going off the cuff here, but if vendors were to market in a similar way, how does that, how would the narrative change? How does Kayla change that narrative? So I think, so th that's a really good question. And maybe to tie back to the first question, the reason that we really try to avoid phrases like the dark web or the dark net or, or a lot of these things that are FUD inspired um, is because we think that a good mission or a proper mission for cyber threat intelligence, intelligence security, again, um, I'll just refer to CTI to everything as CTI from now, just for the sake of clearance, we think that the good CTI mission is to make things easier to understand. And what we're trying to do is kind of to shine a light into what a lot of vendors or a lot of people call the dark web and show that it's not that complicated. It's not that vast wild west that a lot of people talk about. It really is a, um, 
a business or a financially driven ecosystem where people try to make to make money. Um, like 90%, 95%, 99% of it is cyber criminals that are there to try and make a bang on their buck. It's people that have spent time and effort doing something, just really going like hitting the nail hard on the Genesis example. Um, it's people who have spent a lot of time, a lot of effort in infecting machines with malware. That has cost them a specific sum of money, either from their own time or buying third-party services. And now they need to make a return on investment. Um, so it's really people trying to make money. So just like a lot of CISOs or CTOs or CIOs go, uh, go to Gartner and Forrester to read reports to understand all of the technology behind the FUD for legitimate vendors, we think that the vendors should have the kind of the equal to that Gartner and Forrester and like market research um, that helps them understand what bad guys are doing, really. And I think where cybercrime intelligence differs from uh, CTI in general and specifically nation state intelligence is that, or APT intelligence, like things that go along the uh, state-sponsored or nation-state attacks is that really business is hard is easier to understand than um, what sophisticated intelligence agencies are trying to do. So when we talk about cybercrime, we think that there's value to talking about cybercrime, not just because it's a, an actual major threat, but also because it's business. And again, just like Gartner and Forrester can look at legitimate business and look at supply chains and look at vendors, look at their marketing strategies, look at their product strategies, look at the actual offerings, analyze them and make sense of the chaos out there in the world. We think that you can do the same for cybercrime because again, it's business. So just like you can go and chart um, Netflix's stock over time and tie things back to what they've done, you can also kind of do the same with cybercrime markets and attackers in general because they are financially driven as well. Um, so really, um, in terms of our mission, in terms of, in terms of our beliefs, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to give an easy understanding of the cybercrime underground, mostly based on the fact that you can understand it because really it's a business. It's a business with a lot of marketing. It's a business with a lot of buzzwords and also some FUD as well, but it can be understood. It can be mapped. It can be researched just like legitimate business. I think again, that was a fantastic way to define how a product can also be consumer friendly there's this one point that you made on FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and how it exists in the cybercrime world as well. I, I need to know more. How, how? Maybe not to their customers, but to us. So how does that happen? So I think that what we've seen over time, and I should say that it has become better in the last few years, but what we've seen both in journalism, like in the media, as well as materials from vendors, is a lot of hype and a lot of very general, um, like not really well explanations about what cybercrime or what the, again, cybercrime underground specifically is, and a lot of hand-waving and buzzwords around it. Um, and I think that at a point in time, again, it's a bit better now, but at a point in time, we were at a place where 
we were talking to defenders about cybercrime intelligence, um, and we were met with a lot of unrealistic expectations and a lack of understanding around how does cybercrime actually works. And a lot of people thinking that there's like a like one secret forum on the quote-unquote dark web where attackers just blatantly share their targets and detailed plan for detailed plans for attacks, just waiting for someone to get in there and understand their secret their secret plans, you know, like a Bond villain. And in reality, that is not how things work. Um, just like um, in most businesses or small businesses, at least, you wouldn't have like CEOs sitting down, petting a cat and scheming, um, but you would have people doing their job, doing some like small things that tie to one another in the um, kind of in the larger view to make something happen. Um, just like in cybercrime, a lot of different moving parts are working together. So at the end of that, that whole process in which information can change hands different times and attack can be carried out. And I think that 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 FUD that both media for some time and vendors have been really um, using quite a lot, that really hindered defenders from using cybercrime intelligence to actually make things work or to actually protect themselves in a way that's more effective. Because if you want to utilize intelligence in a way that's effective, you need to understand what you're about to get so you can make it actionable, really. And in that sense, fine-tuning sensors and fine-tuning processes, for example, to not just find, um, not look for instances where attackers are screaming in the forum that they're about to attack you, but instead of that, understand that the things you should look at, for example, are maybe credentials coming from one of your employees that are monetized in a cybercrime market, or maybe um, someone offering access to your supply chain in a forum, like specifically um, an, an initial access broker, for example, or maybe, or maybe one of your servers has been compromised and is now offered for sale in an RDP shop, for example. All of these are real examples to actual things that are happening in the cybercrime underground. None of them is as shiny and as flashy as imagining, again, kind of a Bond villain sitting down and announcing to a small group of friends how they're going to attack you. However, in the big puzzle that is a cyber attack, these small things that happen can really, if you connect all of the dots, they can plot a chart that ends in you being compromised, perhaps. And when we're trying or when we're talking about removing FUD and talking more about what actually happens in the cybercrime underground, that is exactly that. Moving away from fantasies about how attackers work and into realms where you really understand how the bad guys work, what it is that they do, how do they utilize and how do they leverage these communities and markets and so on to make their lives better uh, or really to gain an edge on you as a defender. And then you take that edge and you exploit it. You use it um, to defend yourself in a way that's better. And that's really what CTI actually is Fad aside, it's ingraining yourself into the same places that in which bad guys operate so you can see the things that they see, so you can hopefully proactively take care of the stuff that they're trying to do before they've actually done it. And that is really hard to do when we can't have a sincere, real discussion about what actionable intelligence is, what bad people on the internet actually do. And in order for that to happen, FUD needs to be put aside um, 
as much as possible, hopefully. And again, I do think that we see both in media reporting with with a lot of both kind of new media like the record and like the cyber wire, as well as like more um, old school quote unquote media uh, outlets like Leaping Computer, where a lot of a lot of a lot of the media, um, at least to how we see things happening. Um, really have thrown themselves into that, into explaining CTI, into explaining attacks in a way that is not just shiny and sexy, but is actually helping defenders understand what bad guys do so they can protect themselves in a way that's more effective. For Kayla to make this intelligence so specific to organizations and equally understandable is, I think, a hard enough task. But relative to the entire curation collection process and the parsing process i don't i don't even know how possible or impossible that is i really want to jump back to that because well of course i'm going to ask you how can organizations use scalar's intelligence but first and foremost how do you collect and parse through all of this and is scalar's intelligence homebrewed or is it is it sourced from other tools and if it's homebrewed how what's the how so um, I think that's a key point. We've been doing what we're doing for about a decade now. Um, and throughout the time, the intelligence that we provide our clients with is 100% homebrewed, as you put it. It's intelligence that we source specifically by um, tools that we create and maintain. Um, these tools being what you can call collectors or crawlers or scrapers but really technology that has been built in-house over time for the past 10 years or so, um, getting us to a point where I'm a bit biased, of course, but um, but uh, I really think that we have top-notch uh, collection technologies and capabilities. And I think it, again, if we circle back to the beginning, it starts with subject matter expertise, understanding where do bad guys operate, what it is that they do, what are their objectives when they're going and, you know, posting something to a market or an automated shop or a forum or, you know, any place on the cybercrime underground, any venue that is used by cyber criminals. So it again starts with understanding how that works, why are things actually happening? Um, and then I think only, only then it gets to the actual technical part. So the full process starts with scoping, again, understanding inter interesting places on the internet from which we want to collect, vetting our sources um, by trained intelligence analysts. So one thing that you can see a lot in the cybercrime underground, um, just, to, just like you can see in legitimate business, is people who are not really trust, trustworthy. A lot of markets turn up to be scams. A lot of forums turn up to be honeypots. Um, or the rivalries, rivalries between different gangs or different cyber criminals um, can create a lot of instances where bad people try to dupe one another or just exit scam with a bunch of money from, um, from people on the internet. So it really begins with subject matter expertise. It follows with vetting by trained um, intelligence analysts that know the context that can be used to really understand whether something is credible and relevant or not. We then, in that process, tailor to that potential source. Again, that can be a forum, a market, a shop, um, anything really, any place on the internet. Tailoring that with a custom collector that can behave like a human being, that can bypass 
uh, protection and bot detection that bad guys are using because, of course, they don't want to be scraped. They don't want to have um, automated tools in their homes um, exfiltrating intelligence out. Um, so we really have kind of that a framework that we've been working on for a very long time to how how we create kind of these automated collectors. Um, and that allows us really a lot of flexibility in how do you want to be perceived? How do we want the collector to behave? So we have really a wide range of customization that we can then employ to make sure that we're really well ingrained in that source. Um, and from there on, collection is fully automated, um, which gives us a lot more time as, as a company to invest not in sending out our analysts to collect intelligence, but um, having all of the all of the effort set, uh, centered upstream where our analysts can be um, more focused on analysis. Um, they have an automated funnel bringing intelligence in. Um, that intelligence is automatically parsed and processed with entities being extracted from it with automated tagging that contextualizes it and gives it um, a kind of, or gives people at the, at the end a better understanding of what's happening. Um, and then we can really invest most of our efforts in making that intelligence be disseminated to our clients in the most effective manner, be analyzed in a way that makes sense and that makes it more actionable um, and really be consumed in a way that makes things easier and makes defenders job easiest, uh, hopefully at least. Um, so really just to sum everything up, subject matter expertise um, in finding sources leading to vetting, leading to fitting these sources with custom collectors. And from that point onward, it's all automated. Um, highly scalable, pretty fun, but that's uh, that's a side note. Oh, fun, fun matters to human design <laughs> and to, to the to how the product is consumed. So as I assumed as well, the collection, the parsing is just as much a, a integral part of this process. And it is one that requires significant expertise. You said this is 10 years in the making. So no, no one can just pop up out of the blue and say, this is the best threat intelligence. It takes a good amount of understanding within the process to integrate both the technology that you have created in Kayla and the human element. So you're you're building out a very, very strong, it sounds like, and tight process among your analysts to verify this information and validate how useful it can be. That That usefulness, that's to the second question. How do enterprises use Kayla's intelligence? How do they make it actionable? That's the biggest deal. So I think that like a lot of vendors in the market, we have intelligence that can be catered to kind of the three major buckets of CTI utilization. So strategic intelligence, operational intelligence, and, and tactical intelligence. Um, in different cases, in different flows, um, in different actual products that we have within the platform that we offer, um, it can really differ. For example, for um, for strategic intelligence, some of our intelligence goes into a processing funnel that allows us to display trends. For example, uh, think of being an enterprise defender working in APEC in the um, insurance sector. Maybe, or not maybe, <laughs> quite often, a question that you might be asked or something that you want to inform decision makers in the organization about might be 
how is your sector or your geography faring at the moment against um, trending attacks? For example, have we seen a lot of insurance companies in APEC being affected by ransomware in the past month? If so, which attackers and which TTPs did they use? Um, that is a classic intelligence for, or, or a classic question for strategic threat intelligence. And is also one way to utilize the data that we bring in by automatically collecting intelligence about ransomware victims from data leak sites operated by ransomware as a service um, operations. Um, so that is one example on the strategic side of threat intelligence. On the operational side, I, I really am hitting the nail hard again on the Genesis example, um, but not just Genesis, other markets or other means of cyber criminals in which they proliferate credentials that were harvested from infected machines. Really, if a cyber criminal goes into one of these markets and searches for, you know, you being a an organization, searches for your VPN domain and just buys credentials, what you would probably like to know is before an attacker has done that, that the credentials were um offered there. And on the operational side, that this is probably the easiest way to describe an operational um, use case. You will be alerted whenever something like that happens, so you can take um, steps in advance that will mitigate and remediate the threat. So actioning it can be just by being alerted on credentials that were offered for sale or popped up somewhere and neutralizing the threat by, for example, just having the affected employee uh, reset their credentials or, or changing to FA or anything like that. And on kind of the tactical end of the spectrum, um, we have a module that allows or offers technical intelligence in the form of what we call cybercrime observables, basically something um, really along the lines of indicators of compromise, where you can very easily, in mass, in a fully automated and structured way, consume a lot of data points that we have produced um, from processing information that we've seen. For example, um, noting um, affected uh, RDP servers that have been compromised by attackers, where we have thousands and thousands of these popping up um, you know, once a week. You can take all of this um, tactical intelligence, all of these indicators, feed them into your whatever, SIM, SOC, SOAR, um, um, network appliances, anything that does actual protection on endpoints or on network edges, um, and be able to enrich security operations in a way that's very easy. So I think that we have different ways to make intelligence actionable depending on the use case, strategic being informing decision makers on general trends and things that are happening on the business side, operational being detecting specific threats uh, and being able to neutralize them before they actually cause you harm. And tactical is just having another feed, having another source of indicators or tactical intelligence that you can feed into whatever it is that you're doing to, um, to enrich anything NetFlow or anything that you have internally. Um, so really, that's a wide spectrum of things that we, just like other vendors, are doing. Yeah, though that's that's pretty strong. So let me get this right. Another big thing in that summary is that you're actually telling organizations when their data appears. Correct. In the cybercrime underground. Now that's uh, not only to enable actionable intelligence, meaning you can consume this intelligence and immediately work on uh, 
perhaps workarounds for security on vulnerabilities or patch remediation with evidence that is very rich. But also, hey, if something's already off and wrong, by the way, we're pinging you about it. That's a very, very, I think, descriptive way and uh, probably the proper way to curate CTI, continuous threat intelligence. So that's that's pretty awesome. Um, you talked about Genesis some bit. I'd like to talk about that and some other significant trends. You have such wide visibility with your team. Notice anything as of late that enterprise defenders would find interesting? Any any specific trends? So I think that maybe not necessarily something that is really new, but um, something that's continuing to be a trend that's continuing to grow is basically two different trends that we've been talking about for about two, two, two and a half years now. Um, and these are basically servicization and automation. So basically, again, the same thing that you would see in regular business where you are being offered more things as a service rather than as a product and also more automation around that. So going back to the Netflix example, um, you have everything um, available in a fully automated way um, just by clicking a button um, and a set of processes that you would need to do against three different companies um, with like physical transactions and stuff like that is now happening fully virtually and fully in a fully automated way. That's again where cybercrime is going, where we see more utilization of automated markets, of telegram bots to market and monetize um, anything that's related to cybercrime, of more automated flows that allow um, users, like cybercrime users, to do things in an easier way. Anything from obtaining phishing kits and bypassing uh, two-factor authentication um, with, uh, with OTP bots to, again, things like Genesis and buying credentials, which, we, again, I think that I've probably mentioned across uh, any question that you've asked today. Um, and we see that gradually expanding and continuously growing for the past few years, again, mirroring legitimate business. Um, cyber criminals want things to be user-friendly and easy um, and scalable, just like legitimate business does. So we really see them following suit with the trends that, that we see in, you know, as regular consumers. And while that on its own is not something that defenders can use, right? So you don't protect your business better if you know that cyber criminals now uh, use more services in an automated way, or you don't just go and tell your CEO that. What that does bring into the table is, just like I've said beginning, another place or a set of like critical points that defenders can shine light into um, and try to get more visibility into these businesses, like cybercrime businesses, into transactions that are happening in the cybercrime underground to protect themselves in a better way. So one thing that we, like the industry, the industry as a whole, but we in Kela specifically really like to talk about is what we call, or what the industry again calls, initial access brokers. So specific, specific, a specific tier of cyber criminals that specialize in obtaining access to a network, um, pivoting through the network until they get into a an interesting enough place like a domain controller, um, and then selling that access to whomever 
might be interested in it. Now, this is a good example because in that process of finding a beachhead in the network, expanding it, and then offering it for sale, you may see two or three different transactions where a typical initial access broker might go to a credential market to buy some credentials or might go to someone selling um, lists of servers vulnerable to a specific vulnerability or things along that line. So they start their journey by buying someone, buying something from someone. They then work on their own product or service, again, being an initial uh, network access, and then they go and sell that to someone else, what you basically get here is at least two points in which cyber criminals have to be public. They have to go and offer something for sale or buy something. Now, that really ties in into the servicization where more things happen as a service. If as a defender, you understand that. You understand kind of this new kill chain or the concept that every kill chain has actually an eighth phase, um, which is monetization, that allows you to fine-tune your understanding of cybercrime, that allows you to um, make sure that you have the proper sensors in the proper places, be it because you develop them themselves, or maybe you buy services from a from Kela or another company in that market that is hopefully as good as us. Um, and I think that that trend, where again cybercrime is more and more and more growingly mimicking and operating like business, like legitimate business, that is an interesting trend because then it gives defenders the tools that they or the framework or the tradecraft capabilities that they would need to make sure that they can understand cybercrime really down to the core, understand how things are happening, and make sure that they have proper controls um, and proper uh, mitigation efforts to counter what bad guys are trying to do. In several episodes, we talked about how as a service models are pervasive and how there are parallels between public enterprise and this the and private enterprise and then the cybercrime underground that what we're doing is what we should expect others are doing because we're all shared human so is this to this trend as a service and of course you wouldn't go ahead and tell your CISO to report that to the to the board unless it backs uh the need so that's a really good question. I think that what you need the most or the two things that you need the most is collection capabilities or at least the groundwork for collection capabilities and someone that will help you understand what's happening out there to make sure that you can utilize these collection capabilities to the best way possible. Um, if we take that into us and what we offer, we offer our homebrewed intelligence that we collect, we uh, process, we parse, and we disseminate. And we can, of course, also offer our intelligence expertise, our, our subject matter expertise via professional services or just consulting um, on top of that to make sure that the intelligence can be properly used. Now, I would, again, I'm a bit biased. I would say that you should use Kela, but really, generally speaking, to counter what cyber criminals are doing and how they're making bad stuff that they're doing behave more like business, what you need is a business on your side that helps you understand the adversary, that helps you 
track the adversary and see what they're doing so you can come up with proper countermeasures. Now, I think that trying to um, assess or trying to predict how cybercrime will look like in a year, um, I, I, I probably can't even imagine. Um, I think that trying to understand innovation and, and entrepreneurship from cyber criminals um, is really hard. There are forces at play that um, are really hard <laughs> to understand and, and hard to predict. So I think that setting frameworks for collection and having a trusted partner that can help you do something with the uh, collected intelligence and transform it into something that you can actually use. These are generic enough capabilities. So if you kind of keep your hand on the pulse of where cybercrime goes, these generic capabilities would allow you to stay on track and be able to protect yourself or help yourself to be protected from cybercrime to the best way possible, regardless of like what's happening next. Maybe we'll see threat actors propping up initial access markets that are fully automated. Maybe we'll see them taking into social media and doing stuff there. Maybe we'll see everything going dark and things start working in a totally different way. One way or another, if you have a trusted partner, again, internal, external, it really doesn't matter, even though it would help our revenue if it would be us. Um, but really, if you have someone that's ingrained within the same communities and the same places in which cyber criminals act, um, you can be well, you can be well informed enough so you can um, adjust your posture and your position to counter kind of the new wave of innovation from cyber criminals that we'll see probably within a year or so. Mm, that's a great way to phrase it. Uh, you know, in, in organizations, for them to go ahead and build continuous threat intelligence functions takes a lot of educated and eager and also focused staff. And people are variable in their time, energy, and capabilities day in and day out. That and also just making it actionable and trustworthy is a difficult task. I, I think doing all of this in home, ground up, looks something like constantly pulling an all-nighter to take an important test the next day over and over and over again and hoping that you ace it, right? So hoping that you have actually the right intelligence to action. Um, sounds like Kayla is really doing all of the work ahead of time. Here's a proper study guide, everything that you need. And plus, by the way, here are the, here are the ways that it can all go wrong and this is where your data is also exposed now act i think shaving away all of that time to action is integral for organizations especially because you're saying that cybercrime underground is evolving at such a fast pace so uh, i i think the value provided speaks for itself let's let's sort of wrap up here on talking to the wealth of knowledge that you have you're seeing this every day uh, what's happening in cybercrime underground all the way to what's happening in intervention relations, uh, B2B relations. I want to take all of your experience and sum it up to three key pieces of advice you would give to enterprise defenders. It's hard. But... <laughs> it's hard. Um, so I probably would say that the most important thing or kind of the first advice is try and try the, hard you, the hardest you can to put yourself in the same place that the adversary is in. So Again, we have to remember that 
bad people on the internet, adversaries, as the industry likes to call them, um, but they really are just bad people on the internet. They look at your organization from the outside. They use what they have that can be engines like like a attack surface engines that scan the internet that can be what they can find in forums and markets and so on and in order for us to or for a defender to really understand what you like what you look like to the attacker you try you need to try and be in the same place they're at. And I think that's what we're doing. We're trying to give you the perspective of an attacker and show organizations how they're portrayed and how they're exposed um, and what from inside of them is available to cyber criminals. So probably advice number one would be try to place yourselves in the point of like point of venture that the attacker uses. Um, item, item number two, going back to what you just mentioned, is that just like in everything else, in CTI, you always have the build or buy dilemma. Because um, you can, as you've mentioned, you can build a whole CTI practice that does like really well tracking of, of cybercrime, but that, that would probably take a lot of people and a lot of time, a lot of energy, and would not be beneficial for the business because you would have to invest a lot of money in something that can be purchased. So in kind of that build or buy dilemma, I think that you need or you should probably as a defender buy a lot of intelligence, buy a lot of collection capabilities from vendors and from trusted partners um, or from information, information sharing uh, networks or whatever, but you should also build the best people that can take intelligence and transform it into action in the organizations are people that know the business, are people that know the people in the business and how to um, affect them, how to use kind of um, soft force to move things and make red tape go away um, and actually make the business more secure. So I would say that buy the intelligence that you need from the outside, but invest in good intelligence personnel that you build internally in the organization to make that intelligence actionable. Um, and last but not least, I would say that CTI should be viewed, or at least some flavors of CTI should be viewed as kind of an expansion to, um, to attack surface monitoring. Um, or to tax surface intelligence. And that kind of is continuing the first point about um, trying to see the world from the perspective of the cybercrime attacker. Um, you should also understand that everything is a tax surface. Um, your, the banners that your servers are leaking to the internet are attack surface in the classic sense, in the technical attack surface sense, um, but also, the way you're exposed in the cybercrime underground, that's attack surf as well, because that is what attackers are seeing. And it really all comes down to having or trying to have at least because it's really hard and most of what I'm talking about is really hard, security isn't easy. Um, but probably the best thing that you can strive for is having an, a holistic view of your attack surface that's being informed by threat intelligence, but not just by threat intelligence, also being enriched and also being informed by the more classic attack surface um, um, 
tools and, and techniques. So again, um, anything from scanning your own, your own infrastructure to using um, tools or attack surface vendors that give you that information as well. Um, and really trying to build that holistic point of view that is driven by attack surface management or attack surface monitoring, but is also informed and contextualized by CTI. Um, be because that really gives you the full picture, not just what you should or shouldn't do, do, do according to the regulator, but also what you should or shouldn't do according to how bad guys would actually um, attack you because you've done something, if that makes sense. Oh, it all makes sense. I'm glad that you're giving advice that Kayla follows internally as well. You built your entire threat intelligence technical platform to be action verified and facilitated by human elements. And you're also asking that organizations as they invest do the same thing because context is written within layers and the business is definitively its own layer. Uh, I think that's great advice to give. And then furthermore, it's wonderful advice to say that there are other ways to act and it all comes back to minimizing your attack surface as best as possible. Um, I, I think this is invaluable for people to listen to and to hear about. I know that several people will be interested in hearing more, not just about what Kayla can do, but also about you. So where can we find you? Where can folks uh, tune into what you do? So LinkedIn, Ravid Leib, I'm on, on Twitter at, at Ravid, Ravid L, R A V. Double E D L. Um, you can reach me via email um, if you want. Uh, Ravidel at kela.com, um, or you know, where wh whenever people are. Uh, but really, mostly LinkedIn, Twitter, and via email. Um, hit me up. I'm available. I'm glad you you've asked folks to do that because I hope some people do take that into consideration. You've been on various different platforms speaking about your work, and it just be great for people to engage and understand a lot more to also further their practice. I'll go ahead and put your contact in the show notes. Altogether, I want to just thank you for joining me today on the Future of Cybercrime podcast. We got through a lot, not only really creating that definition layer that I think has for so long been just a bit missing through a lot of these conversations uh, on what the Cybercrime Underground is, but also to, to baseline on how expansive this can be and the kind of care that organizations must take. So really, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much, Zaira. It's been a pleasure. I'm always happy to just go on for 90 minutes about cybercrime whenever anyone is willing to listen. Um, so yeah, thank you. Absolutely. And to everyone that's listening in, thank you again for joining me on the Future of Cybercrime podcast. If you would like to engage with us, you know where we are. We're on your major streaming platforms, and we're also on LinkedIn. Always happy to take your questions, your comments, even suggestions. Feel free to reach out. And until then, we'll see you here next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Future of Cybercrime podcast brought to you by Kella. For the latest episodes, please visit ke-la.com or search Future of Cybercrime on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks, and we'll catch you on the next episode.